Please take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to Luke's Gospel, chapter 13. Certainly in light of the events of this past week with the bridge collapse in in Minneapolis, it would be appropriate to go back to last Sunday's text, would it not? The first portion of this chapter. But in the providence of God, perhaps that was a good preparation for us of those who were here last week to to rightly consider such such events. And that the real issue to consider as we see such catastrophes, as Jesus applies it to the people of His day, is what if it were you? Are you ready for eternity? And don't spend your time trying to figure out the who's and the why's and, and all who are involved and those the handful of people that, that perished. But you determine, have you prepared? For unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. That's the words of warning. That's the words of application that Jesus gives to us to consider such matters. But I will press on into the next section of our of our text, looking at Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 10. Our text will be this morning, verses 10 through 21. This is another one of those texts in which we're reminded as we consider the, the Jesus progressing in His intent, as we've looked at several weeks ago, of His progression toward Jerusalem. That He has a purpose, He has an intent that he is not wandering aimlessly through through the country, but he has set his eyes and set his heart upon Jerusalem for those events that were to take place there, even leading to his own death. But we've also seen that in this section, this this portion of, of Luke, that the the opposition which Jesus faces becomes more clear. The lines of distinction are more clearly drawn. Uh, those who rise up in opposition against him speak out very strongly in such cases. And we also see in response to that, that Jesus likewise responds to that opposition very strongly as well. And so we're looking this morning, and I've entitled my message this morning, God's Advancing Kingdom. We're looking at the kingdom of God and how it advances and how it was advancing then to the day of Christ, how it continued to advance after his after His ascension into heaven and how the kingdom of God continues even to this day to advance according to God's providential plan. And so I've tied in our text beginning in verse 10 and then the parables that are given in verses 18 and 21 based upon one word. In other words, I think these go together here because in verse 18, we have the in the NASB the word so. It's rightfully translated by some translators as therefore. Uh, sad to say, some of the translations leave out the, the tie altogether. But I think that it indicates to us that the sections that are of what takes place in verses 10 through 17 are given some explanation and light by the parables that Jesus cites in verses 18 through 21. So that's the reason I've chosen to to consider these two, what might be considered two portions, together as one. Begin to read in verse 10 with me, please. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, 
you are freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done. So come during them and get healed, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites! Does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for eighteen long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated, and the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. So he was saying, What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw it into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour, until it was all leavened. Occasionally we see in the events of our day and, and in nature around us just the amazing power that's set forth by, for example, as we've talked about um, the hurricanes that come in, just the amazing power of wind that we see in such events. And then, as we were reminded of in December of 2005 with the the huge tsunami that hit Southeast Asia and the loss of, of property, the loss of human life. They're just the amazing force of power that is present in such things as moving water. Uh, we've seen even in recent days as the amount of flooding that has that's been taking place in Europe. If you're abreast of the news there, a flood that's been taking place in Europe, flooding that's been taking place here in the States and in the Midwest, flooding that's been taking place in other parts of the world. And again, just the tremendous power that comes with, with these waves of water as the water is released and the, and the rivers overflow their banks. You just see the, the power of these forces of moving water going and, and moving things that we would think, surely it, it wouldn't do that. And it does. I think that's a good picture for us to keep in mind today as we think about the advancing of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God advancing through the age of the, of the New Testament and through the, the church age, even that we're a part of to this day. And it's certainly a biblical picture for us to think of the, the kingdom of God as one that advances. Jesus Christ himself said that I build my church and the gates of hell, which are defensive means, the gates of hell cannot prevail, cannot stand against the advancing church. So the church of God is, is pictured to us as going forth. As going forth and as we've considered before, and we'll give some thought to here this morning as well, going forth at the sovereign will of God, advancing as He wills for it to advance, incrementally. And we might look and see what we consider to be somewhat of, of small steps, small increments, 
but advancing with certainty. And Jesus, we see him in his ministry here. He's moving and he's acting even amidst those who are in direct opposition to him, those who would will to silence him altogether. We see him moving and acting as he wills. He wishes to do it. He wishes to say it. He wishes to go. He does. Even at one point when there were those who were ready to, to kill him and to, and to throw him off of a cliff, he simply passed through their midst as he willed. The church, or the, the kingdom of God, advancing. And one might be tempted to look at a casual reader of the scripture, or certainly someone who is, who is not familiar with the with Christian doctrine and Christian teaching, might take up the Bible and read and see how Jesus is advancing through the gospel. And, and it seems that he so, so readily and so quickly seizes control of every situation that he's in. Until you come to the cross. And one might be tempted to look at that and, and say... He did well for so long. And even as we see him journeying here through Luke's gospel on his way to Jerusalem, he's going and he's doing well, but he he doesn't know what's coming. And when he comes to Jerusalem there, he experiences a disastrous defeat. One might be tempted as a casual reader of the scriptures to come to that conclusion. But we know, don't we? We know that the cross was in fact anything other than a defeat. It was the supreme victory. As Christ laid down His life, it was not taken from Him. He laid down His life as He willed, and He says, I lay down my life and I take it up again as He wills. That, that is an advancing Kingdom, But we also see that that image continues as you come through the book of Acts. Jesus ascends, is ascends to heaven in the first portion of the book of Acts. And then you see the Spirit of God coming in great power upon the disciples at Pentecost. And the Spirit of God fills God's people that go out and they begin to proclaim the gospel message. And the message of the gospel goes forth and the kingdom of God continues to advance Mightily and powerfully, even through fierce opposition and persecution. Beginning in Jerusalem, into Judea, and into Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's just as though this thing is going and it cannot be stopped. That is how we should visualize. That is how we should think of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God advancing. The kingdom of God is powerful and it cannot be stopped by the will and by the opposition of men. And so that's why this morning as we look at our text here that I've entitled this God's advancing kingdom. He wants us to see it in that way. That the kingdom of God is moving forth. It cannot and it will not be stopped. And so we're going to look at this morning as we consider God's advancing kingdom, three features that I think are very important for us to keep in mind. The first thing we want to consider is the mediator of that 
kingdom. The mediator of God's advancing kingdom. Now, first of all, we need to remember for those of you who have been tracking with us here through Luke's gospel. I know that's not all of you, that some of you are are new to us here and that's fine. But we've had our attention brought on several occasions and going through Luke's gospel to this theme that Jesus presents regarding the kingdom of God. And it's a important theme that Jesus speaks of many times in his ministry, but also it's a theme that's throughout the New Testament we've looked at in various places. And I want to direct your attention to a a few passages regarding this kingdom of heaven or this kingdom of God that Jesus speaks about so often. Well, first of all, and you don't have to turn to all these. If you want to turn to some of these, you're certainly welcome to do so. You may just want to jot these down if you're taking notes. Uh, some of these we have referenced before that when we've we've looked at this motif or this theme of the kingdom of God. So if you have notes from previous messages, some of this might be a rehashing for some of you. But I do hope that it will be something that is refreshing to us all. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, we see there when Matthew records the, Jesus beginning his earthly teaching ministry, the first words from his mouth were, repent for what? The kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand. And we also see in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2 that that was the message of his predecessor, of John the Baptist, the one who came before him. This message of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. In Luke chapter 4, in fact we might turn and look at some of these. Uh, We have ventured through Luke for some time now, but it would be good I think for a bit of a review. Luke chapter 4. Verse 43, and just for context, let's look at verse 42. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and the crowds were searching for him, and he and came to him and tried to keep him from going away from them. But he said to them, I must preach what? I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also, for I was sent For this purpose, turn with me to Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Luke chapter 8, soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him there also. Luke chapter 9. Verse 1, he called the twelve together and gave them power here, getting ready to send the twelve out for a time of ministry, preaching and teaching ministry. He called the twelve together, gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim what? To proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. Now, what did that look like? We see it down in verse 6 of the same chapter. Departing, they began going throughout the villages... Preaching what? The gospel and healing everywhere. So what is this theme, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven? It's nothing less than the gospel itself. He sent them forth, it says in verse 2 of chapter 9, to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Verse 6 is the fulfillment of that. They begin going throughout the villages Preaching the gospel, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it revolves around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
That's how it was manifested. Luke chapter 9, verse 11. The crowds were aware of this and followed him, welcoming them. He began speaking to them about the kingdom of God and curing those who had need of healing. Then Luke chapter 9, verse 60. He said to them, allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God as he gave instruction to those who would be follower. So this theme of Jesus teaching certainly is is present. It's a, it's a dominant theme through his teaching, this theme of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. But it is also clear. That when he speaks of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, that it is mediated through none other than the person and the work of Jesus Christ himself. In other words, you cannot speak of the kingdom of God and entry into the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom of God without considering the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 10, verse 9. Let's back up again to just a little bit. This is where he sends the 70 out. Verse 8, whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. In what sense? Well, the kingdom of God has come near to them and none other than the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 11, verse 20. We're not too far away from where we've been in recent months, are we? Luke chapter 11. Here, Jesus counters the attacks that are made against him, that he is casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub or by the power of Satan himself. Verse 20, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, which he does, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How has it come? It has come in the person and in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then Luke chapter 17. Let's go ahead where we haven't been yet. Luke chapter 17. Verse 20. Having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, they knew that motif, didn't they? Questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor they say, Look Here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. It's in your presence, or in the midst of you, some translations may use. It's right where you are. It's in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, well, that may not be real clear. How are we still convinced that it's mediated through the person and work of Christ? Look with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Again, I realize we have been here before and as we've considered this before, but I think it's good to revisit this. And again, for some of you who have not been with us tracking through Luke to see this, this emphasis through the, the New Testament. Acts chapter 28, verse 30. Speaking of Paul, he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to him preaching what? Preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, as he preaches and teaches of the kingdom of God, it cannot help but be directed to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 
First Corinthians chapter six. And here Paul is speaking of those who are the inheritors of the kingdom of God. First Corinthians chapter six, beginning in verse uh, nine. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. So in other words, this entry into the kingdom of God is mediated through the person and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to to Paul here to the church at Corinth. Ephesians chapter 5. Note here Paul's wording wording in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. What is the kingdom of God? It's the kingdom of Christ. The kingdom of God is mediated. The mediator of this kingdom of God is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul speaks here to the church at Ephesus, he does not even distinguish them. The Lord is Jesus and God. One kingdom, but it is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Christ. And then one more reference all the way over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 11. Verse, beginning in verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there was, were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, which is God, and of His Christ. And He will reign forever and ever. So, very clear to us that the, key, the central theme of Jesus' teaching is of the kingdom of God and that the kingdom of God is entered, the kingdom of God is mediated through the person and the work of Christ. That was the message of Jesus himself and certainly the message of the writing apostles as we have given to us in the New Testament. So God's kingdom cannot be considered, it cannot be entered into without the consideration of the person of Jesus Christ. And again, Jesus ties the events in our text. Verses 10 and 17 to the analogies or the metaphors of verses 18 through 21, which are about the kingdom of God. So there's something in verses 10 through 17 where we ought to see something here of the kingdom of God. And certainly we see the kingdom of God being advanced, being mediated through the person and through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, what becomes central to our minds as we consider verses 10 through 17 is that Christ is here. Jesus Christ is at work. Jesus Christ is healing. Jesus Christ is countering and challenging his opponents. And Jesus Christ is releasing the captives of Satan's bondage in this woman who has come to his presence. 
makes it very clear, does it not? He said that this woman who in verse 16, she has been bound by Satan for 18 years. That the infirmity that Luke tells us in, in verse 11, it's a sickness that was caused by a spirit. So there was the, the physical aspect, but there was a spiritual issue here as well. And so, Jesus. Jesus is the one mediating the kingdom of God. It is Jesus, God himself, here. Releasing the captives. Countering the the opposition. Bringing healing. So it helps us. As members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as parts of the body of Christ today, it helps us to clarify certainly our task and certainly our responsibility that we have the task today that it's the same now as it was for them. That we have the task today to proclaim the kingdom of God. You say, well, I've never gone forth and said a word about the kingdom of God. Well, if you've shared Christ, yes, you have. And when you share Christ, you are speaking of the kingdom of God. You are speaking of the rule of God, the reign of God coming into the heart of the individual. So as Jesus Christ is received, that Jesus Christ is responded to by those who hear that our task is to proclaim the kingdom, to proclaim the rule of God and his Christ. That is our task. Granted, it it needs with it. Some explanation. It needs some clarification for people because people are not going to re- listen to that terminology and be, oh, I know what you're speaking of. <laughs> we have to take the time to explain what we mean when we use such terminology. But it is a message that is particularly Christ-centered. There is no proclaiming of the kingdom of God. There is no proclaiming of people becoming right with God, of people fellowshipping with God, of people living for the glory of God without it coming through Jesus Christ. That is our message. So it's calling men to God. It is calling men to reconciliation with God, that they are estranged, that they are alienated. They are, in fact, the enemies of God. And that that is only rectified by coming to God through the person based upon the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our message. It's simple, isn't it? Proclaim Christ. Call men into the kingdom of God. How? Calling men to Christ. It's part of the, the problems that we've experienced and witnessed in so much of, of the circles that we've grown up with and many of us accustomed to where we've seen, we've seen evangelism where people have been calling men to Christ, calling men to believe on Jesus, but they don't realize their state before God. They need to first recognize that they're alienated from God. They're the enemies of God. It's only then we appreciate. It's only then we flee to Christ. Only then we understand that you need this mediator to come between you and God. So we present the law of God. We share with men. This is what God has required of you. And you're violating God's law. You're guilty of every aspect of His law. If you've broken one point, you're guilty of all. So we proclaim men's alienation and separation. We proclaim to men and women the bad news. Do we not? The bad news is that that you are estranged from God. Then Then you marvel. Once you've grasped that by the Spirit of God, you marvel at the grace of God and the salvation of God that's brought to you in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. So let men first deal with God. Let them see how they are before God and then let them see Christ. Then He is the gospel. He is the good news.
It's more than a mere acknowledging of a higher power or being. It's coming to God in repentance and faith. Repentance from sin and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God's kingdom is an advancing kingdom. It goes forth as He sovereignly wills for it to do so. And it is mediated through the person and the work of Jesus Christ alone. Secondly, we'll see the manifestations of this advancing kingdom. How does Christ manifest the advancing of His kingdom? Two features here. First of all, it is advanced through power and might. Through power and might, Jesus Christ advancing His kingdom as He wills at the expense of Satan. Remember, there are, there are opposing forces here. This is Jesus stepping into, if I might use the terminology, Satan's home territory. And He's come, and we witnessed, we spoke of... Back in the account when Jesus, after he was baptized, he went to the wilderness and there he was he was tempted by Satan himself. What do we see? We see Jesus Christ coming forth absolutely victorious and there Satan bound, Satan restricted, Satan defeated. And so Jesus continues his earthly ministry. Satan continues his attacks. And what happens? We see him time after time after time after time. The kingdom of God advancing as Christ wills into the hearts of his hearers. And so we have here this infirmity. And this woman who, who's there. and Jesus attributes it to Satan, verse 16. Luke attributes it to a spirit, verse 11. What does Jesus do? He comes with power. He comes able to deliver. So by a word in verse 12 and a touch, as he calls this woman to himself, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your sickness. In verse 13, he laid his hands on her. It's power. It's power. You don't have any sense here of any intensity of battle, do you? You know, where is the battle here? Where is, the, where is the, the resistance of Satan as Jesus wills to bring healing to this woman's body? Where is his opponent? He stands in silence. He cannot resist. He cannot resist this advancing kingdom of God through the person and work of Christ. And it's consistent with the pattern that we've seen in other deliverances where we've seen Jesus delivering men and, and women from the power of Satan Look back in Luke chapter 4. <clears throat> Luke chapter 4, verse 40. While the sun was setting, all those who had had any who were sick with various diseases brought, him to, brought them to him. And laying his hands on each one of them, he was healing them. Demons also were coming out of many, shouting, You are the Son of God. But rebuking them, he would not allow them to speak because they knew him to be the Christ. Where's the battle? <laughs> he wills. He speaks a word and they would offer any resistance or complaint. He rebukes them and they're gone. Here he is, the strong man. Jesus, the strong man. He has entered into the house of the devil and he is conquering. He is plundering all of his possessions. He's come in and seizing and capturing for his kingdom all whom he wills. And Satan cannot stand against that. What an advancing kingdom that we see here. 
We saw in Luke chapter 8, the garrison demoniac. Jesus commands that these spirits leave. And they do ask for some concessions. That at least they be granted the, the privilege of entering into some swine. And he gives them permission, the scripture says. Jesus coming forth with power and might. We saw the demoniac boy in Luke chapter 9, verse 42. Jesus issues the rebuke. He speaks the word. And he's a conquering one. He won't, and that's always the fact, the theme when he preached on that, that Jesus is the one who conquers, always conquering. There was never even a stalemate, much less a, a, a defeat. Always conquering the kingdom of God, advancing forward, mightily, powerfully through the person and the work of Christ. And Satan cannot resist, he cannot stand. Christ takes whom He wills as a testimony of His own sovereign rule, but also as a testimony of His grace. So one manifestation of the advancing of the kingdom of God is it comes with power. It comes with might. But Christ advancing His kingdom is not merely about power. Because you have power with an evil heart. You've got disaster. But we also see the manifestation of the advantage of his kingdom is his compassion. It is mercy. Jesus advances his kingdom ultimately for the glory of God, but secondarily and important, importantly, he advances this kingdom of God for the sake of people. For the sake of those who hurt, who suffer, He advances the kingdom of God with compassion. What's at stake here? What's at stake in Jesus' coming? Listen, if Jesus were merely going to fight the devil, that could have taken place somewhere else in some other form, and we had nothing to do with it. But there's more involved than that, isn't there? That Jesus coming here upon this earth was not about Him just coming and defeating the devil. It was about setting men and women free. It was about delivering captives. It's about the souls of men and women and boys and girls. It's not just power. It's compassion. It's mercy. And the kingdom of God could not have done it. Let's meet somewhere out there in the cosmic world and let's do battle. Jesus against the devil and he destroys him while the mankind goes to hell. It's not about power and might. It's not just that. It's about compassion. That he acts as he acts, that he's done what he's done for the glory of God and for the sakes of men, for, for his people, for us. So here in this scene, Jesus he shows compassion to a woman who's been bound for 18 years. I suspect after 18 years, she's given up. Don't you think so? Hey, I give up in about three days. <laughs> 18 years. She's been bent over, stooped over. She can't stand erect. Done probably whatever she thought she could do, and nothing works, nothing helps. You get to a point where you resign yourself to this. This is my lot. My only hope of deliverance is 
is to depart from this life. And here she comes. And it's interesting, it says that she comes there. In verse 11, it says there was a woman. In fact, I don't know why it's not put in here. The NASB disappoints me here, but I'll keep reading it and keep preaching from it. The, the Greek tells us, it says, that, and lo, look, a woman. Or behold, some translations may put that in there. There's a woman who for 18 years had a sickness caused by a spirit. There's no indication here that she's even coming to speak to Jesus personally. She's not coming to make any type of appeal. She's just simply coming into the synagogue, maybe to hear Him. But she's come in, bent over, bound, expecting to leave the same. And Jesus saw her, verse 12. Jesus saw her. And He called her. Where's the initiative here? Where's the initiative? It's in the heart of Christ. A heart of compassion. He sees this woman who is, who is bearing some of them. Some of the miseries of what it means to live in a fallen world. And, and his heart goes out to her with compassion. And he calls to that woman and says, Woman, you're free. You're free. From your sickness. And he put his hands on her. And immediately, she was made erect again. What compassion. He restores this woman, to health. But there's also something else going on here, isn't there? He does it on the wrong day. I mean, I got the idea, if, if you can do healings, you're free to do it any day you want to. And Jesus heals this woman on the Sabbath, and the, the official, the guy that's in charge of the, the synagogue, becomes indignant. That's what the NASB translates because Jesus is healed on the Sabbath. Now, he's a pretty smart guy. He didn't say anything to Jesus. He said he responded to the crowd. He just looks at the crowd because, hey, there's got one. There's going to be more. He says there's six days in which work should be done. That's true. So come during them and get healed. And not on the Sabbath day. And what does Jesus do? He rebukes him. And not just him, but all those who are thinking like him. There was one man that was in charge, but there was there was a slew of them there. He says, you hypocrites. Does not each one of you on the Sabbath, you are out and you untie your ox or your donkey from the stall and you lead him away to water? And why do you do that? You think, well, it needs to be done. You need to tend to your animals. You need to care for them appropriately. So even on the Sabbath day, you do this work. And they had certain restrictions that you could do so much that. And when you, incidentally, one of the, I think one of the restrictions is that when you walked your animal, you had to lay the the rope across your arm. You couldn't pull it. You had to lay it across and kind of lead. You know all this, these traditions of men. This minutia of detail that had absolutely no bearing, no importance. You do this. And then verse 16, look what he says. This woman. She's a woman. She's much more important than your beast. The daughter of Abraham. At least, at least, inferring here, she's of Jewish descent. Some of the commentators I read insist that it's got to be even more than that, that she's a believer. 
She's a, a true, a genuine, a genuine follower of God, a worshiper of God. The reference in there being a daughter of Abraham, who is the father of faith. Whom Satan has bound for 18 years. You talk about what you must do. You're, you're so insistent. you got six days in which you must do your work. Jesus says, the wording that he used here in the Greek here is, must not she have been released from this bond on the Sabbath. In other words, this had to happen. Doesn't it make sense that this should happen here this day? That the power of the kingdom of God should show itself on the Lord's day, on the Sabbath day, here in the synagogue? Is there any better setting? Any better time? I mean, how are you, you going to say to this woman? Come back tomorrow. We'll, we'll take care of this. So he's not only showing compassion to this woman and bringing deliverance, but he's showing the compassion of restoring the true intent of the Sabbath day. That the Sabbath day was intended to, to be a, a time of, of mercy, of demonstrating mercy and compassion over against these traditions of these men with had all these rules and these and these laws that were of men, not of God. And it was certainly never within the realm of the Sabbath that mercy and kindness would be prohibited. And contrarily, the point that Jesus is making here is quite appropriate to the day. His compassion. He's restored this one, but He's restoring. Here's, here's what this day is to be. So has the kingdom of God advanced today? The kingdom of God advances today by power. By might. Again, when we share Christ, when we evangelize when we speak of Christ to men what are we doing are we trusting in the powers of our own tongue and the powers of our own eloquence and the ability of our of our, our own ability to outreason someone dependent upon those things to bring them to Christ i hope not because if those people are coming to Christ the way dependent upon that they're not true converts to Christianity they're your disciples not his but we proclaim the gospel, trusting the power of God to go forth through His people, using His people as the means, but trusting that the power of conversion is absolutely dependent upon the Spirit of God. It's not changed. So the kingdom of God goes forth with power, and still today, still today, God sovereignly builds His church, advances His church where He wills, in the hearts of whom He will. You tell me why we've got churches, why we have brothers and sisters in Christ in such places as Bangladesh. In such places as China. In such places as Vietnam. You tell me why we've got churches there. It's no, you cannot be explained by anything other than the power of God coming and capturing men. Redeeming men. Drawing them out so that we will stand with them in heaven. And there will be those from every nation and every tongue and every tribe worshiping the Lamb for all of eternity. God wills it to be so and He's going to do it. He's going to secure His people. And those places that were once considered to be closed and, and the gospel was completely eradicated, that it's finding new opportunity. 
just I shared, I think, some years ago that when I was in Bible school, I was just became aware of the at this time Albania was a communist country, and just became aware there that their goal was to eradicate Christianity completely from that country. So I was a naive kind of kid in Bible school, and so I began to pray for Albania. I began to sacrifice. I didn't eat lunch. I just during lunchtime I just began to pray and to fast for Albania because it was a country that was boasting, boasting, and their claim that. And their claim was there were no Christians in Albania. You know what happened a few years later? <laughs> it all fell apart. The communistic wall that had been built up there came crashing down and Christianity had the opportunity to come flooding in and the church was built and established in Albania. How's it happen? By the power of God, He goes and He advances His kingdom where He wills. But it's not just about power, is it? It's about compassion. It's not just about might is right. It's about the compassion of Christ for people, for His people. And His working to deliver men from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe to bring them into the body of Christ. It advances the same today. So, that ought to set us free. It's not about us. It's not about our eloquence. It's not about how sophisticated an argument we can present. It's not about being up to date with every form of apologetic that we can think of. Listen, with apologetics, you can win the mind and lose the soul. There's a place for it, but it's not the all in all. Church of God, the kingdom of God advancing mightily, powerfully, sovereignly as God wills to accomplish it. And it cannot be stopped. And then we see finally the manner of his advancing kingdom. Jesus gives to us two pictures, two metaphors for the advancing of the kingdom. They are in the parables that he gives to us in verses 18 through 21. Again, I think explaining what's transpired or giving some light to what's transpiring in verses 10 through 17. So, so therefore, he was saying, what's the kingdom of God like? It's like a mustard seed. which a man took and threw into his own garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air nest in his branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? What's the kingdom of God like? It's like leaven, yeast, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. The mustard seed and the leaven, there's some common traits between the two. One is that they are relatively small. In Matthew's recording of this of this kingdom parable, he emphasizes that. It doesn't seem necessarily and incidentally, it's not that it's not that what we're reading here is the same time that Jesus spoke what's in Matthew thirteen. In other words, we believe that he's he's using this parable here at another time. And that Luke has recorded it on this other occasion. But Matthew does emphasize, and and rightfully so, as Jesus does, because he emphasizes when he tells it there in Matthew's account, the smallness of the mustard seed and then it growing to to large proportions and then the, the smallness of the leaven, small bit of leaven, this place in what's a relatively large piece of dough and it spreads through and it permeates. But 
And I think there's some place for that. The common trace that we see between the mustard seed and this leaven is they are relatively small and inconspicuous in their beginnings. And one might look and think, well, that's not going to ever amount to anything. But there is a slow and deliberate and incremental growth and influence over a period of time. And certainly that parallels does it not? It parallels the advance of God's kingdom. I mean, let's think about it just humanly speaking. What is it? What is it about a man named Jesus that lived 2,000 years ago in a rather insignificant place and an insignificant man? What makes that what that man started significant? If you're looking at it just from the beginning, you think, well, this is going nowhere fast. And so you get to the book of Acts when, you know, one of the guys, let's just wait this thing out. It'll end. <laughs> Write it out. It didn't, did it? Very small and very inconspicuous beginning, the kingdom of God, and certainly manifested in the, in the coming of Christ. But there's this incremental, there's this deliberate growth and influence over time. As God advances His kingdom as He wills. He does it. So Jesus says, listen, you don't be, don't be discouraged by what you see taking place around you. Don't be discouraged by the opposition that you see from those here in this place. When, when I come in heat and then you've got those who, who rise up in opposition to what I'm doing, rebuking because I healed on the Sabbath day. Don't you be discouraged about whether or not this thing's going to fly. Because it's going to grow. It's going to advance. Don't be fooled by the smallness of the beginning. It's going to happen. God is going to build His kingdom. And furthermore, don't be deceived when you get to the point where it seems like everything has absolutely fallen apart when they've hanged me on a cross and they put me in a tomb. God is and will advancing His kingdom. And it will not and it cannot be stopped. Those are the common traits we see here. There's this small, inconspicuous beginnings, but... But growth, and that's the kingdom of God. It's the testimony of what's transpired. And you see in the book of Acts, and you see where at Pentecost, what happened there, folks? What happened? What happened that would bring 3,000 people to repentance and faith? It's the power of God. God advancing His kingdom. There are also some distinctions to be made between a mustard seed and leaven. And I do want to be careful here. You know, you can dangerously press parables out of proportion. You can take some of the details of a parable and try to make a, an application or make a, have a parallel. And they're not, many, they're not intended for that. Uh, the ones that are, Jesus explains to them. The ones that are not, we need to be careful with them. But I think it is insightful that J.C. Ryle brings to light regarding the mustard seed and the leaven. And he speaks of the mustard seed as in emphasizing this, this outward growth, benefiting and influencing other, others. In other words, that you have by what's given here by Jesus in the mustard seed, it's a picture of the gospel 
at work in the world. But the gospel goes forth. It is proclaimed. And the kingdom of God grows and it advances and it grows beyond all expectation. And the mustard seed will grow to plants that are 10 to 12 feet tall and it would be unusual there'd be something that big and tall that the birds are there and speaking. Some say it's probably picturing there just the na- from people from different nations. If it's referencing Daniel, that would be the case. And there's, of course, some question there. But you have here by this mustard seed is how the gospels that work in the world and how it spreads from, from heart to heart, from life to life as the Spirit of God advances the kingdom of God from one soul into another, from one community, from one ethnic group into another, from one nation into another. That's the gospel going forth. And that the picture that we have in this leaven, that this leaven speaks more of an internal advancing Affecting which you have leaven where yeast is it's inside placed a small portion placed inside this large lump of dough and then eventually, eventually it advances through the whole thing. It's just the nature of leaven that it does that. And, and, and Ryle makes the point that it's a picture of the gospel at work in the heart of the individual. How the kingdom of God advances and continues to grow with, even within our hearts. We call it sanctification. That the kingdom of God continues to grow within the hearts of God's people as we study the Word of God, as we spend time in prayer, as we fellowship with God's people, that we become more and more attuned of of who God is and what we owe to Him and our rightful love for Him and obedience to Him and submission to Him. And it grows, it deepens, does it not? Are you not still experiencing that in your own Christian walk? I hope so. The kingdom of God is still advancing just as that yeast would advance through the hole. And we anticipate that day when Christ returns or we go to be with Him. They'll be brought to its complete fruition and glorification. So what is the manner for God's advancing kingdom? It's slow. It's incremental. Step by step, but it is definite and that there are decisive advances of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is an advancing kingdom. It cannot, it cannot, it will not be stopped. It advances in the world according to its purposes. It advances in our own hearts according to God's own grace. So, we have this assurance as we're in, deeply involved in that, are we not? We're experiencing the advance of His kingdom. But we're involved in advancing the kingdom of God. We have this assurance. It's going forth. He's building it. It's His purpose. It's His plan. It's the way He's done it. It's the way He's always done it. The way He'll always do it until Christ returns. So trust Him. Believe Him. And let the power go. Lord, the power is yours. You've chosen to use human vessels. I want to be yours to use. However you want me to be used. But it's got to be you. It's got to be you. You're advancing your kingdom. And that's what He does. And it cannot 
be stopped. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we know the results. And that those, though there are those who would stand in opposition and even by their own words, insist upon their resistance to the gospel and to the advancing of the kingdom of God. That, Lord, they resist only, only as you will. We thank you for your mercies to us. We thank you, Father, that you conquered these hearts when we were unwilling, when we would have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And Lord, if there be hearts here today that are yet to be conquered, Lord, I ask, go forth, advance your kingdom here in the hearts of those hearing this message today. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.